career that could help someone else mm. by learning our lessons. We come from a line of trauma and hurt as Australians in that 200 years and then obviously colonisation and the frontier wars we call it for our, our Indigenous people. And there's people like you that it does hurt and all you want to do is unite everyone. Is it that hard? And these young players that we see now are a product of those environments. We ain't going to get out of it in 10 yeah. years. It ain't yeah. going to take 20 yeah. years of everyone going, oh, let's be good to the Aboriginals and uh, it'll all come good. Hey, uh, can I speak to Dr. Clint, please? Can I speak to Dr. Clint, please? Some of the best learning you will ever do will be travelling. Give yourself space, time to creatively think, to learn, to meet people, or take a vacation with your family. Give yourself that time. And there's no better person or people or company to help you than the people at Tripodil. Their experienced agents will look after you from start to finish. They will plan your flights, your accommodation, your car, your excursions, whatever you need. If you want to plan a trip of a lifetime, Tripodil is the place to go. Tripodil.com.au Welcome team, I'm so excited today to bring a great friend of mine, Dean Witters, who has had a great career in rugby league, but post his career is doing some remarkable things. And I'm so grateful to be in camp with him, with his Indigenous All-Stars team. Honestly, like this, this could have the most impact out of any podcast I've ever recorded. So Dean, thank you, mate. There's no pressure there. <laughs> I know, you just put all the expectation on it and then watch how crap it is There's now. There's no I'll pressure you, there. Right? I tell you what, you're very skilled at having a yarn. Um, we're sitting here in Indigenous All-Stars camp in Rotorua. And, and I'm part of the staff. So Ronald Griffiths asked me to be on the staff and I'm sure yourself and Tamana Tahu had possibly a bit to do with making sure that I was on this team. So when I got asked to do this, Ronald asked me to bring some experiences that I have in the numerous teams I've been with in camps over the years. But then I thought about it and I actually, I rang Ronald back, I said, mate, I, I actually think I want to do this more than you want me. And he's like, what do you mean? We want, you know, this is the staff I want, this is who I want. And I, I said, no, no, I, I think I need to learn more, mate. I need to learn more about Indigenous culture. I've always got on well with Indigenous players that I've worked with. I've always had a connection that I thought was a connection, like you, a great friend for life. And Tamana, Tamana, the best athlete, by the way, I've ever worked with, Tamana Tahu. Sorry, you were good. Oh, was close second, close um, second. But I thought about it, and then I thought, I have a responsibility myself to even teach my own kids what I'm going to learn this week. And we've we've had some chats over the lunch or dinner table. And yeah, so I've got nothing scripted here, mate, but I just know that all my listeners are coaches, teachers, trainers, athletes themselves, parents. Um, a lot of the people listen to my podcast to, to learn or sometimes to be inspired a little bit. But what you have to share, every coach out there from listening to this forever, when you coach an Indigenous player, you will take stuff out of what we're going to learn here. And I don't know how to get it out of you. I know you're very skilled at chatting, so. We'll just yarn um, away, we'll yarn. It's, it's been. Can, I might just say, 2002 is when I first um, met you and, and you played for the Parramatta Eels. We had some great times 
your natural athleticism and instinct was at another level. I remember it. I love it. I, I'm just getting memories of it. The times we had, you went through some tough times too. It was a bit of a roller coaster. Mm -hmm. A bit of a roller coaster. That professional lifestyle, I think, for you was was a roller coaster. But your talent was incredible. You then went on to a longer career, even in the UK. You know, you're working. You've done some amazing things. So I'm sure we'll go there in the story, but. I really want to go down this indigenous path, mate. Like, you said something to me at lunch the other day, which will go straight to the listeners who's coaching. You said, indigenous, or let's say we're talking a non-indigenous player. Let's say a non-indigenous, hardworking, work ethic kid that just has great attitude, great upbringing, great this, great that, but he doesn't quite have the skill. Most of us will go, we can work with that. We'll just work on his skill, his catch, his pass, his footy, his knowledge, whatever. But because he's got that work ethic, we're going to work with him. But then you said, some indigenous kids who have the skill, have the crazy instincts, the most talented athletic ability, but they don't have this part. And some people could get a bit frustrated with that and possibly not even give them a chance. No, no, he's late. No, no, he doesn't eat right, or he's doesn't do this, or the, you know, they might, they might not give him a crack. Where you said to me, <laughs> why don't we take it the same approach? He's got this. Let's work on this. Let's teach him this, and let's understand his upbringing. And like you said that to me, and I was like, you know what? I thought I've been really good as in the coaching space for a long time but I look back now and I could have been better if I'd learnt all the things we've chatted about this week which is why I'm here so I'm still mm. learning I've still got another 20 years of work ahead of me but can we go there like can we just start with your philosophy of these young indigenous kids that are so talented and there's a lot of listeners teachers coaches that are going to come up across these kids what can they learn from this that's going to help them get better to help other young Indigenous kids? What can we learn from mm, chatting? And you know what? It's a big thing that we struggle with in Australia and it's around truth-telling of history. You know, a lot of Australians, even non-Indigenous Australians, they don't want to acknowledge even the beginnings of their people. You know, there were young kids as old as 10 years old, 12 years old, taken from England, 10,000 kilometres away for stealing an apple because they were hungry and brought to Australia as a convict. Like some of the stories of that first group of convicts, the people that first came out, are really sad and traumatic and mistreatment all the way through. So we come from a line of trauma and hurt as Australians in that 200 years. And then obviously colonisation and the frontier wars, we call it, for our, our Indigenous people, were horrific for on my people, you know what I mean? And oh, oh, um, for people, for Aboriginal people to live what they lived through during the Frontier Wars, then the Protection Act, which was segregated Aboriginal people, took them off their country, off their land, and where they stopped practicing culture. Um, and then they slowly died then because without the culture they couldn't feel strong, they lose identity and then they start self-medicating in drugs and alcohol and all these other things that were introduced to communities. In, off the back of that comes violence in your community, all this sort of stuff and then these young players that we see now are a product of those environments and some of them don't even understand the history or the trauma themselves. So they struggle with that at times when they feel that their identity is being challenged their, their self-confidence, their self-identity is being put under pressure. 
or they're feeling that they're not good enough in some way, that cultural history comes back to hit you 100 miles an hour. And that's where they delve into. And I, I think, um, well, and when I spoke to you about it is, we spend a lot of times on the technical skills in the game. We're happy to go out there and train it and run skills because we know we can do pass and catch all day and teach kids that. But some of our kids, they don't need coaching in that sense on the field. They need coaching off the field. And you'll find some of the great mentors in our game, the Wayne Bennett's and stuff like that, they pick that up early and they concentrate on that stuff off the field. You know, being on time, being um, punctual, being professional in your diet and your sleep and stuff like that off the field. Being respectful. Being respectful. Um, learning how to be respectful in this sense. I think, you know, we, we deal with some of the young players this week, they don't talk much. Mm. They're not being disrespectful, the fact they don't talk, but they, they actually see it as being respectful that I keep my mouth shut and I just stay over here and I just, and I don't talk much. So there's a little bit of a cultural difference in what respect means yeah. in terms of the way we do it. So understanding that the cultural difference is a big thing there as well. Yeah, I don't even know, like, I, I think you won't mind, but I actually want to be personal. I want, I want to know about your grandmother. Mm. So my grandmother, part of the stolen generation, she was taken, her father was a German man taken from um, uh, in, up at Woolbrook, around that area, up near Armidale. And then she went, she went around 36 different homes. She was called a misfit. She didn't know she was Aboriginal. So her and her brother were removed and they sent around all different homes and um, put in different school, uh, boarding houses, all sorts of things. 36 times she got moved and they had, she was a misfit uh, in, um, on her report. And anyway, they sent her back home to, to Woolbrook Station and she got off and she looked and all these the black people are there waiting for her. She's like, I'm not Aboriginal. Who are these people? What are they sending me to? But it was the first time she ever felt love in her life was when she got sent back there. Now, this is two different stories because her brother um, went back on the same train. They got off. As soon as he could, he moved to New Zealand and never went back to Australia again and didn't tell anyone over here that he was Indigenous. Um, so his family grew up not knowing anything about their roots or history. And my grandmother yearned to meet him again in all that time. But my grandmother always used to say a powerful thing to me and my cousins when we were young is, don't let my story hold you back in life and cause you to be angry, cause you to be sad, cause you to have resentment and be disrespectful and, and be violent in your life. Use it as a story of strength. So as I was growing up, my grandmother has always been the inspiration for me is that I wanted to make her proud of me and I want to do something special with my life so that her life was worthwhile, all the trauma that she went through. And she, she was the most loving, caring woman for what she went through. And even what she went through later in life, you know, um, raising kids and going through domestic violence and all this sort of stuff, she was still the most loving, caring woman ever. And I just thought, you know what, if she can forgive a lot of the things that happened to her and use it as strength, well, I certainly can as well. Mate, I, honestly, like, I, I nearly was choking up to ask you that question and mm. but you just roll out with it like yeah it's a story but, but it, what year was this so i cannot get in my i can't comprehend what fit. it would be like as a, i'm now a parent with kids that someone just comes along take my kids away i yeah. can't i can't comprehend that this stuff even happened so how long ago was this 50s 60s up until the 70s you know in some ways it, it's it's there's more aboriginal kids removed now than what there was back then, um, you know. It's it's, but it's our communities are vulnerable. Our communities, you know, low socioeconomic, um, lowest wages, high unemployment, 
Um, and these have been setbacks that our people have dealt with for a long time. So our communities become vulnerable to whatever negative things happening in, in the society. The most vulnerable people are always those Indigenous people in those communities because the, of the way that life has been to them. And, yeah, uh, right. Yeah, and we, you know, if COVID hits our communities, it does the worst damage in our communities. Drugs, alcohol, all those sort of things. That's the they, worst in those. That's that yeah. the worst damage to so our more communities. more vulnerable. So we're always more vulnerable, so. But that's pretty powerful. What I've always found that with you. Everything you do is, you're trying to unite people. There's never any... There's never been any hate, any, well, getting me in this camp straight away. I'm a non-Indigenous person and I walked into this camp so welcomed. Like I walked in that room the first day and every player gets up and gives you a hug and, you know. You've seen our true you know. culture, H, this week, you know. it's We are a, a very, very, even after everything we've been to, we still want to work with non-Indigenous Australians and make this country better. Yeah. Our country still invites you in. It's still a warm culture. It's a, it's a peaceful culture, you know, and you see that um, in the way we are this week. But I think the big thing for me is I learned early in my life about the ripple effect of change, that if you can do some positive things and you can change people's views just even a little bit, they will change the next person even more. Yes. Uh, and that's what we're... Okay, so there we've got something here. Yes. The listeners, if you can help them... If you can change the way they think about something, that they can then help their kids even, or their local rugby league team. When an Indigenous kid comes into the team, if that, if anything we can do here can change. So let, let's go down that I've got a stuff, couple of stories you know? I can tell about. Let's go down changing some people's thoughts. Because, you know, even the Australia Day topic, only recently I had the same... I'm driving with my son. Son's 16, nearly 17 this week. He, uh, his mates on Australia Day want to get together at our place, have a little party, swim wherever. So my son goes to work, school holidays, got a job in the holidays, and I'm driving home. I said, mate, what are you actually celebrating? And he goes, oh, it's just a day off. Like People have a day off mm. and people have a drink. And they said, I said, but what, do you understand how this hurts people? My own son, who's the nicest kid in the world, obviously he's my son, I love him, the heart of gold. He just goes, oh, it's just a date, Dad. I said, exactly, mate. It's just a date to everyone, but the date actually hurts friends of mine, like friends of mine. Mm. And he looked at me like, and I said, you know I'm going to work for a good friend, Ronald Griffiths, next week, who's coaching the Indigenous team. I'm going away with Indigenous players. Do you know this is a day of mourning for them where it actually hurts not so long ago their people were getting treated terribly by australians including your grandmother who now i'm going to show this to my son like can we even go there with just that topic because that seems to be a controversial topic but i look at it and go surely it's a no-brainer <laughs> if it hurts people and there's people like you that it does hurt and all you want to do is unite everyone is it that hard Mm. What's your take on that topic? Oh, I think people are stubborn and they, they find it difficult to move. And, and particularly with Indigenous issues in this country is that people feel if that there's a, there's a fear of or if we 
we do that for the Indigenous community, what's going to happen to us? Are we going to be at risk? Is it going to change our lives yeah. and all of this sort of stuff? And I think, look, when it comes to, to that date, like for me, it's a, it's a morning day. And, but I also celebrate my people's survival. Now, yeah. we've been through a lot. So we, 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 it's a morning day. It's a survival day. That's what we call it. And, um, and I also believe that we'll celebrate. At the moment, for me, the date isn't the issue for me. I think the date brings up a lot of question marks. And we saw that this year where it wasn't really celebrated a yeah. lot around the country. Um, people are slowly changing their views. And I think what we need to do is change the day or the date, whatever it is that we do with it, when we actually have got something really solid to celebrate around Indigenous people, inclusion, when we've changed something that's going to make a difference for my people ongoing so we don't have to keep going in the circles that we are. And that's systemic change through government, you know, giving Indigenous Australians a voice in government, um, looking towards a treaty. These are big things that will become um, spoken about more and getting people more educated towards. But when we get towards achieving those things, I reckon that's when we've got a day to celebrate. At the moment, Changing the date, it's not really going to give Indigenous people a day to celebrate because what would we celebrate? We're still in jail more than anyone. We're still sick, die 30, 20 years more than everyone else. Our, our kids uh, are lacking education and employment way more than everyone else. So there's actually not anything for us to really celebrate yeah, yet. Yeah, we need yeah. to achieve something and then look at what we, yeah. what we do. That's, that's my view. Well, mate, you speak so well on it. I, I, I obviously don't know the answer, but you even just mentioned their education. One, one of my favorite moments in a coaching sense was you know, one of my first ever jobs like 25 years ago was to go into a high school and coach an indigenous kid in track and field and it was funded by you know a track and field association to send me in and it was one of the most rewarding feelings ever to this kid that wasn't wasn't going to class but the only way you could get coached in a sport that he was feeling good, feeling valued, feeling like he was learning, feeling empowered by me coaching him, he started going to class. The sad part about that story is once the state championship was over, the no more funding, no more coaching, and I never knew whatever happened to that kid, but I, I remember like he just, this kid just needed someone to just believe in him and he was thriving, you know? How to do that all the time, I, I don't know the answer, but I remember it's pretty rewarding and I remember working with players like yourself and I always felt connected, but I don't think we ever got this deep and I don't think I ever got to understand your family background, which now I'm a believer in is the key. If you want to win, the most connected team wins. Something I believe in strongly yeah. too. We had a good conversation yeah. about that. Yeah. So um, possibly if I could take my time back I could have made more of an effort. In fact, I did. I mean, remember the Fooey Fooey Moi Moi story? I tried to connect with him mm. by speaking his language. And Do you remember that one? Oh, hey, you're one of the... <laughs> I have to say, and that's, that's why you, you were the man to bring into this camp, is we've got a lot of work to do in that coach and um, strength and, co uh, strength and uh, uh, conditioning area. We've got a lot to do in that head coach area, assistant coach, and... Um, for me and T, it's a no-brainer to bring you into this camp yeah, to teach yeah, yeah. these other guys. You're, you've come in here to mentor people yeah. and it's going to make a difference because we have no... We've got, I think we've got one person f employed full-time across all the clubs in any sort of strength and conditioning, head coach, assistant coach, yeah. whatever it is yeah, in the game. Yeah, and that's, yeah. a, that's a, a less than 1%, so we need no, to work I, on I that. I really appreciate that, but I'm just thinking back, 
I was always close with you guys, close with Tamana. Albert Kelly, we, I had, and now he's here in camp. Well, that was 2008, now yeah, we're in 2023, time, yeah. and he's in yeah. the same camp. You know, I've had, I've, I was so proud of when I was able to contribute to Dan, uh, Brent Naden's debut, um, Dane Laurie's debut, Jermaine Hopgood's debut, they're all here now. So it's a special week for me, but talking to you and talking to Tamana and talking to Ronald Griffiths, talking to the elders, sitting with elders on the plane, listening to their story, it's, uh, it really is fascinating, mate. And I want to I wanna ask you, like, if you had advice, if you're coaching an under-15 team out there tomorrow and a kid just moves into town and he's an Indigenous kid and he's very quiet and he looks a bit sheepish and... How should a coach go about welcoming this kid in? When I say sheepish, I mean sh shy, because he's new. Just mm. say he's just rocked into town. It happened. I've well, had it, junior kid. I've had it. My, 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 my big thing would be make training enjoyable. Yeah. So it's about him having fun, developing his skills and work on the stuff. But off the field, I would be working twice as hard with him having patience with that it's in for the long haul your results won't come for a while because working with our kids in the pathway and I, I really believe this in our game the pacifica kids now that are all through all of our systems they are so far ahead at 15 16 now physically yeah. and they're trained at the high level now for a lot of the sports high schools a lot of the elite programs that we have at harold mats and junior rep systems so they are world-class athletes at 15, 16. I think you can compare them to basketball players in America at 15, 16 with their power base, their speed, their agility and strength, everything they do at 15, 16. You could compare that to any elite sports kids yeah. at 15, 16. And these Pacifica kids would be very, you know, they do really well. Some of them are then two years away from playing first grade, 17, 18. They're nearly, their bodies are nearly ready at that age. That's how quick they develop. Our kids are a long way behind that, our young Indigenous kids. So you're going to need patience because they're not going to go out there and match up on day one against the Pacifica kids just through the genetics, you know. Yeah. And then some of them will carry the trauma and these issues that I spoke about earlier. So they might not even be able to handle the pressure, the the discipline, the, dedica the dedication that it requires just to survive in those junior rep programs. Well, yeah, well, you just said it. You said work even harder off the field. How can these listeners work harder? Do they they Real need to learn? Connection is the first part. They need to learn their story. Know the story. Know their history. Know the family. Know who it is that motivates them. Know who it is that's good for the kid. Who is it that's bad for the kid? And this only comes from conversation, connection pieces. Find out what your connection pieces are with the kid. So, are there commonalities? Are there things you share in common? Um, how do you uh, learn a bit about our culture? about how important land is to us, how important our, our skin systems and our totems and our moiety and our kinship system is. Probably something that doesn't exist in, in our communities right now, but in the way we live, it, I see it all the time, that people do connect with different people still yeah, on yeah, different yeah. ways and they do have relationships with different people which they probably wouldn't even be aware of that aren't always blood related. Yeah. So you've got to try and find out what these connection pieces are with your with the young kids that come into your system and work hard on how you build off the back of that connection then to teach them values um, and different ways of life and rules that they can live by that will help that kid progress on and off the field. Yeah, because, you know, I always say it and you would know it, you would feel it. 
to get respect, you've got to give respect. So it's like you respect the game, the game pays you back, doesn't it? Mm. You, respect, you respect the game by training hard, it pays you back. You respect, you respect the fans, they pay you back. You respect, respect in respecting a young Indigenous kid and showing him support, genuine, that you actually care. It's going to pay you back by, if you're patient enough, you're going to see this kid. The sky's the limit for it. Yes. Like, the sky is the limit for Indigenous kids if, if they get people, good people around them to support them. And but the big, big someone thing, has to make that effort. And the big thing I always say there too is you've got to understand too that this kid has felt and heard about disrespect towards their people their whole life. Yes. So uh, even if they haven't experienced it a whole heap, I guarantee you they've heard a lot of stories about their parents or their grandparents have felt disrespected by non-Indigenous people their whole life. So as soon as one day they start to question that, oh, geez, am I getting disrespected by this person? I'm getting looked down upon. Am I getting mistreated? Am I getting growled at? Am I, is the coach angry with me? Is the coach off me? Well, that, that's the, you nearly, the relationship could nearly be undone straight away. With straight that away, because he's non-Indigenous. So let's say it's me yeah. and I might not even think it's that harsh. But straight away, because they've had stories told them, well, because it's true, not too long ago, mm. non-Indigenous were disrespecting their family. So to them, they've grown up. I might be the nicest guy in the world, but that could ruin a relationship Still like mistrust. There's yes, still a there's lot of a mistrust. mistrust. Wow. Uneasy feeling. and Well, no. sometimes there is, even for the coach. Even for the non-Indigenous coach or teacher or trainer, sometimes you can tell well, that kid... I don't think he really likes There's me. There's a little disconnect There's something here. going on Disconnect, there. and that's what we're talking you know? about. Wow, but you've got to make an effort. You've got to make an effort to do this. So you, you know, over probably the past six years of my 20-odd years in this game, I've gone more down this connection piece, this culture, this leadership style. Because um, to, to perform, you need to get everything right, physically, mentally, technically, tactically connection, cohesion, the whole bit has to be right to really win. It's only of late that I've worked that out. So through, if you can, through a podcast, accelerate someone else's learning by telling them now, go and invest time in this area. Because mm. when we first met, all I cared about was how fast you are, fit you are, what your skin technically, fiber, yeah. how, how high you jump, how technically, but it's only later in my career that I've really gone into this space and one of the previous episodes with Ivan Cleary will will be clear to the listeners that that's what we'll big on at Penrith um, but yeah so the whole idea is through other people's lessons can we accelerate their career that could help someone else mm. by learning our lessons 100%. you know I drove you mad about training mm. back then I worked with the one of the smartest coaches ever mm. Brian Smith who still has so much to offer the game he's that smart we probably drove you mad well, with pressure, did I we? I, I didn't realise it at the time, but I had performance anxiety. I couldn't sleep nights before game. I dreaded turning to, to walking into training every day. But the, what I did, I didn't realise what, what I'd done. And this is what, what motivates me a lot now working in a space is I put on a front. I was the comedian at training. I would turn up and joke and have fun and stuff like that to hide the fact that I was I was scared shitless of doing the wrong thing at training or that I wasn't good enough and that my stresses and my trauma were going to catch up to me at any time. And, and I never knew it. I never knew you 
about trying to strip you down and your weight. I'm and training that. every morning at 5, 30, and, 6 o'clock. And that anxiety would make you then go and eat more. It made, made me worse. Made you worse. Made me worse, yeah. And, and yeah, so I look back. Um, I didn't know ways how to calm myself down as a mm. player. The, the anxiety, the stress, the pressure, the worrying in my head would get the best of me. And I thought the only way to... The only way I coped with it back then was to eat fat. Yeah. And it took me a long, long time till after I finished playing and footy. And why did that? Is, was that how you grew up? I just, did I just, you eat I grew bad up growing and, up? And I, uh, yeah, I ate bad growing up because we didn't have any other choice growing up, you know. We, that, we, we were, we, that's the way our families, they never knew about healthy eating. They never knew about buying healthy food. Maybe couldn't even afford it. Right. So we had to do whatever we could to be full all the time. And we were always told be full because our parents, that's how they brought you up, was eat until you're full because... You don't know what's coming next. Back in their days, they didn't know when they were going to get fed next. So if there was food there, they would always See, teach we never, we, we never knew yeah, that. The upbringing, I realised a lot of this stuff when I finished playing. I was thinking, geez, I could have been a way better player if I'd known how to handle this stuff and cope with it because I was actually doing all the wrong things when I was there. So part of the comedian thing you used to do was um, you had a... Bit of an alter ego. The old Ralphie. Can we talk about that? Yeah, we talk well, about Ralph. Ralphie used it's to ring, episode, Ralph. Ralphie used to ring people. And do and and do prank calls. Prank calls. And I've got a list. I've got Steve Wall, Chopper Reed. Chopper uh, Reed. Jane Fleming. Some of the biggest yeah. names in rugby league, they're gonna know about it now. Yeah. Greg Inglis. Because we've never announced Greg it. Greg Inglis. Does Greg know Greg, you used to call him? Uh, I think he might now, but I used to call him and hassle him for tickets. And what I'd do, Preston Campbell... Okay, hang on. Know. Pretend I'm Greg English. You give me a ring. So, well, how did Ralphie uh, go? So Ralphie would be on to Greg about... Greg, and the way I'd, the way I'd link in with him was I'd talk about all their aunties and uncles and their family and say, I saw Auntie Yvonne the other day, and I saw Uncle Joe, and they told me you were in town, and they'd say hello. And then all of a sudden, he starts thinking... And, and I heard you were back home in the holidays, but I didn't get around the house. Remember, I saw you down the street. No, let's just do this. It, let's ring someone now. I want Ralphie out. <laughs> oh, I need to mate, put it's my... It's 11 o'clock at night. You're not going to get anyone now. It's 9.30 back home. But it, 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 I need to put it on private. Don't we? I'm just trying to think who we could get. Can we get the doctor downstairs and pretend you're one of the, like the 1973 team that's here in the hotel and, and they need treatment? Yeah, we could probably do <laughs> Gout, The gout's mucking up. Yeah. I'm going to give you the doc's number. Ring him off yours. I don't know. Where's your Can phone? you do a 183? Oh, because he wouldn't have more. I haven't got more. Oh, my phone's in there. Mate, this is so good. Oh, shit. Yeah, ring him. Yeah, let's, let's ring him. His number. Hello, can I speak to Dr. Clint, please? Can I speak to Dr. Clint, please? Speaking. Do Dr. Clint. All right, all right, doctor, it's Ralphie Vale here. I'm just from the 1973 uh, 50th anniversary team from the Aboriginal team. Yeah. And they, the, I got the number of the Toby Adam there from the commission. He said you might be able to help me out here. I've got a couple of medical problems. What's up, mate? Uh... Uh, my, my my gout playing up, and I want to I want to go and have a, I want to go and have a drink tonight, and I want to know if there's something you can give me so I can go and have a few beers. But the gout the gout's playing up real bad. 
The gout's playing up real bad, Doc. No, mate, I've got plenty of stuff for that. Yeah, and... Why don't you come and meet me down at the bar and we can, I can give you some medication and we can have a drink together. Yeah, Doc, the other thing I don't want to do is I don't want to go down there where all the boys see me now and they wonder what, what am I doing with the doctor, you know? They're going to start talking about everything and I'll get reputation back home. <laughs> Nolsey told me to get you and he, he's there laughing in the background. He gave me away. <laughs> nearly, had, nearly had you on the hook there. Yeah, it's Dino, but then the both, they both started laughing in the background, so they ruined it for me. No, mate, you did a good job. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ, another one. I thought I could just relax. We'll be back, we'll be back down there soon. We'll be back down there soon. <laughs> See you, mate. Bye. Right, Dean, honestly, I am massive, and every there's a lot of episodes where people feel they know what I value, but the biggest thing I value is in teams is living your values, not just words on a wall, right? I believe if you get those right, you may never lose. If like you think about it, you think about the word connected. If a, if a player is connected, to the game plan, connected to each other, connected in defence, connected in attack. Let's say you just get that right. The most connected team wins, the most connected team defends the best, the best defensive team wins. We, so if you get it right, you may never lose, right? The word respect, if you respect the game by training hard, respect each other, respect the staff, respect the, respect the opposition, if you live it, and you respect the opposition by preparing accordingly, right? If you get that right, you may never lose. Um, what I've found in this camp is the Aboriginal people have what they call laws, which are basically values. So there's a lot of teams do this, this thing where you come up with your values, your team's values, they become words on the wall. But unless you live them, you, you finish the bottom of the table. If you live them, you're usually one of the top teams. But what I've realised, mate, if everyone lived the Indigenous laws, which I've been told have been laws since day one. L-O-R-E-S too, we say, laws. Okay, I didn't mm. know that part. Yes. I've learnt something there. The laws that I've learnt this week, one is respect, one is responsibility, one is discipline and one is justice. So I'm, that's what, have I got this right? Yes, that's our binder, yeah. That's your binder. So this is for thousands of years. So I'm guessing thousands of years ago, if you didn't show respect, there'd be justice done. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know what it was. Do you know? What could have yeah, happened? It'd be pretty hard. Speared in the leg. Speared in the leg. Shame. Shame. Okay. So this shame is, a, and it's a word that a lot of our Aboriginal communities use today because they don't want to be shame. It's embarrassed. Gotcha. But shame was being taken away, being removed from the group. The group gotcha. was the most powerful thing about, the tribe was the most powerful thing about yeah. our way of life. Yeah. And shame back then was that they would remove you from the tribe and that was the worst shame you could feel. So you never okay. broke that law because you didn't want to be removed. You didn't want to be removed. So this is for thousands of years, but let's bring it to sport right now. If your team lives disciplined, 
you think about that. There's so many ways in a day you can be disciplined as an athlete or a staff member. If your team has a responsibility for themselves and for each other and for the what, whoever they represent, <laughs> and if your team shows respect to each other and the game and like all the things we said, if they live that and through all that, they are just so connected because they are... They're sharing those values. Those values are a shared value and they're connected to it. I don't, like if everyone lived like this, you think bigger picture, let's go away from sport now. If everyone lived like this, we win, right? Well, that's the big point, is the oldest surviving culture, culture in the world is what? Yours. Indigenous, Indigenous culture. culture. So that circle, that everyone lived by that law and that's why they're over, the, look at Australia. It's one of the harshest, countries to live in in the world. You go out in the middle of the desert, I guarantee you, me and you aren't lasting long if we go out in the middle of the desert. Our people we'll, have been we'll living film there. this, we'll challenge this. <laughs> Our people have been out there for hundreds of thousands of years. They would yeah. have had to survive natural disasters. Yeah. They would have had to survive all sorts of things going out along in that country, yeah. on that harsh terrain that's, that we call Australia. Yeah. And to survive, out-survive every other culture in the world, they had to have a lot of things right with the way they were living. And that connection piece to each other. And, you know, there's, like I, was, I touched on a little bit, our kinship system, our moieties, our totems, our skins, meant that you had relationships with people that weren't just blood-related in the tribe. Yeah. And in those relationships, they determined your roles, obviously your relationship with people, and your responsibilities to the tribe. And you could not break them, because if you broke them, what removed. was the removal? Justice. Shame was the justice was the thing that come in, and the ultimate shame you could have was removed from the tribe, and mm. you would not survive because the tribe was the thing that kept everybody alive. So how do you go now with those laws, LORES? How do you go now? There are some communities really struggling with this stuff. Like, are they not connected to their? The answer place? for us, yeah. and this is what I believe lays with us, lays with our traditional law, our traditional culture. If we're responsible for um, delivering that law back into our own cultures and all, our own communities, we will be able to go forward. But for far too long, we're relying on a white system of government funding, of policing, of all these sort of things coming in, medicating, talking to kids, uh, uh, sorry, going in and um, being clinical and diagnosing what's wrong with all of our kids when we need to go back to practicing a lot of our traditional law yeah. and then put it in the context of living in this modern world and how to survive and how to live those same values but live it in your way of, of what we live today. So your discipline shown by going to work every day, being a good provider, um, you know, being responsible and, and fulfilling your roles in the family because a lot of the roles in the family have been taken away from Indigenous people for a long time now. Right. And we haven't been able to teach and adapt to this Western way of parenting and different things like that because right. our, our communities, some parts of our community, yeah. struggled with it. Because it seems like those laws may have been lost in some... Definitely been lost because yeah. you weren't allowed to practice language. You weren't allowed to be on your own land. You got segregated in the... They removed Aboriginal people off all their traditional lands put them into places where they were controlled by government or by Christ Christians and the, the Catholic Church, sorry, and they were mission managed and told what they could, fed rations instead of being able to hunt for their own food. So yeah. the, the role of all the men in that, if we said that the connection and being in that group was the main thing that you had in life, 
all of a sudden your role as the provider, as the person who hunted, as the person who, who my family relied on to feed them, now your kids can be taken away from you at any time. You've, you've lost your role straight away. How does that devastate a man? How does it affect a man going on, onwards? The young kids aren't taught how to be fathers because the men were, were not around. They, 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 um, they lost their way when they put all their responsibilities, their language and all that because that was a man's role in our community. And now we need to find what that man's role is back again. Bring it back. Mate, I... See, I don't, I don't know my family history like how far back or that but but it makes me fucking, um sorry geez, I might have to edit that it makes me I'm almost ashamed of what possibly somewhere somewhere like obviously a convict come over in my family somewhere there's there's English there's Irish there's obviously that side has come in um Somewhere, someone related to me would have treated your people bad, and it. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if they ever did, do they? But they must have, mate. And, and I think, H, look, it's, it's a bit like my Nan's story. I use Mate, my Nan's story as strength that, that's and what to go on. keeps getting me. And I think for, for, and this scares a lot of, this is what I feel, a lot of non-Indigenous people, they're scared that, oh, someone of my family might have, how's that going to look upon me if I look back and I found out someone in my family did do some really terrible things? And I've no doubt that it would have happened everywhere. 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 Right? And you look at... Because it happened. You know, you, and the trauma still exists. Like, for Aboriginal people, like, we've got to go to parks and streets and towns named after people who were murdering our people or responsible for the murder of our people and all these massacres in different country towns. Like, you're going to go around New South Wales and be in some of the country towns and you'll see the parks named after these people, the highways, the roads, the all sorts of things, Because and they massacred our people. So we see that trauma, but I feel that oh, I've got the same answer for you that my nan gave to me, is you don't let that hold you back. No. You use it as something that will propel you forward for motivation to create this ripple effect that I was talking about. So you coming into this camp has created a ripple effect because you can't wait now to go back and talk to your son, talk to your family and change things for them. And guess what? Your son's going to have even a bigger view. He might even go a step further than what you are and, and stuff like that. And then the, his own kids will be influenced. And I believe, you know, I don't, get, I, don't, I don't get too caught up in worrying about the anger of all the issues and the struggle because they are immense. There's so many things wrong. I don't focus on that. I try and focus on the little bits of difference that we can make the little bits of influence, how we can change people in a positive way yeah, and know yeah, that yeah. then another 100 people will go out there and they'll do their best to, That's to change. Because this is a long time coming. You think there's 200 years of trauma, um, um, you know, and, and on top of that you've got self-medicating, misdiagnosing, um, all sorts of things in poison into communities that's made it even worse. It's compounded the problems. We ain't going to get out of it in 10 yeah. years. It ain't yeah. going to take 20 yeah. years of everyone going, oh, let's be good to the Aboriginals and uh, it'll all come good. This is going to be a long-term fix. The same way that I talked to you about what we do with our kids when they come into our programs, it's not a short-term fix. Don't think that, you know, we're going to put flags up one week, we're going to do a celebration, we're going to do NAIDOC week, that everything will turn around with that kid. 
No, this is a long-term yeah. plan yeah. Yeah. where you must change the way we do business. And for me, what I'm focused on at the NRL is I want to influence the way that all these clubs do business so that they start to think in every decision they make around recruitment, around what they do in community, about what they do with their fans and their sponsors, at the front of their mind they got well, how can we make a difference to Aboriginal people's lives if we just make one little choice different here? Which might... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, mate, honestly, like... Sorry to get emotional. I don't, no, I don't I like even it. know I where like that it. come from, brother. Well, I do after you've being been in, here. You've been in a great camp. Um, mate, so I was always so proud. I mentioned a few, like, I worked at the Roosters for Latrell's debut. So proud. Worked with Origin team and mm. photo in the sheds with his little baby after his first ever Origin game. So proud. Um, his brother has blown me away. Shaq Mitchell weighed 148 kilos when I knew him. And to see him here weighing 116 and leading this team's like, it's blown my mind what he's well, been You would through. never thought it. You would yeah. never. Mate, I watched him prepare this morning before training like the ultimate pro. That never happened. Like, so he's had to learn that. Yeah. So now, now knowing all this stuff too makes me even prouder of these guys that they made it. You know, knowing what they've how they've found their way into this professional system and made it is like you started with earlier. You wanted to make your grandmother proud and you did that. Makes me even more blown away now I know their stories. Um, but mate, we could talk forever and I'm, we won't, but you did mention the ripple effect. If anyone, li if anyone listening got anything out of it and you can make a difference to someone else's life, uh, might be your own kids or it might be an Indigenous kid, I don't want people. Th I don't want you to think like I'm trying to save the world. That no, I'm not. I'm not. You know, and I'm not gonna. You know, like you said, you don't want people feeling sorry for it. Nah. You know, that that's not me. What I want. I have a philosophy in how I coach, how I work with people, athletes, coaches, whoever I'm working with, is to show I care. You always know that I've cared about you, but coming in this week, I wanted to show it a little bit more. And it's done more for me than I have on the, the team, that's for sure. Thanks so much for your time, mate. Thanks so much. Like people need to people need to run a, do a movie with you or something, like seriously. Like we've just chatted for half an hour, but um, yeah, you you're an amazing human what you're doing, brother. Good yarn to you, brother. Thanks for having me uh, on your podcast, man. And uh, <laughs> anytime and I'll talk to you soon, eh? Good man. Good, good. Thank you.